Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano, and today we are once again joined by my colleagues, Jennifer Gray and Tom Stout, as we return to the Biden tax plan and specifically part two of our discussion of the Biden proposal to increase the tax rate on capital gains. Last week, we noted that historically, more often than not, the capital gains rate has been lower than the rate on ordinary income. So that makes Biden's plan to equalize the two rates at 39.6%, mostly uncharted territory for the U.S. tax system. We discussed the policy reasons for the rate differential, as well as policy reasons for potential rate equalization. Now, today, we probe further into this topic and are going to discuss how the capital gains rate influences taxpayer behavior, how that behavior affects capital gains tax revenues collected by the government, and how other law changes can potentially increase those revenues. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode yet, feel free to pause here and go back to capital gains part one. Or, what the heck, feel free to just stay here with us and wait into today's episode, capital gains part two. So Tom, Let's start with what seems like an obvious statement. Higher tax rates mean higher tax revenue. Lower tax rates mean lower tax revenues, right? It seems obvious, but I think I was taught by revenue estimators at the Joint Committee that when it comes to capital gains, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Why? Well, I'm sure you've heard the old joke around the hill that you can raise your revenue both raising and lowering capital gains rates. And that's that's because it's a transactional tax and it's imposed only upon realization. So there's a there's always a behavioral response. So if if the rates cut, then realizations increase and that tends to increase revenue, at least in the short term, sometimes by a lot because taxpayers may expect that the rate's going to go up again. If the rate is increased. If you set the increase in the future, taxpayers will sell a lot of assets in anticipation of the increase that's coming. So that tends to increase revenues. But that's all sort of short-term stuff. Longer term, you know, I think it's it's pretty clear that a higher rate will raise more revenue, but with fewer realizations. So that the amount of revenue that you raise at the end of the day is is less than you than you might expect from just a pure rate increase. It doesn't increase by the same percentage as the rate. And there are a lot of other complications as well, since we know there's a, an entire industry that's built around converting ordinary income to capital gains. The lower the rate is for capital gains, the, the more active that, that industry becomes and, and vice versa for, for a higher rate. But probably the most important factor at the end of the day is, is, is what happens to those capital gains eventually. And you know, if it's possible to avoid gain permanently, as with a stepped-up basis at death, then you've got a powerful incentive to avoid realizations whenever there's a rate differential. I guess we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later on, but that's that's probably the key factor in, in, in how much revenue that you raise by changing the rate. That's really sort of the crux of it, isn't it? And we should distinguish this from ordinary income, right? So the behavioral effects we talk about don't really apply to wage income. So it's not like, you know, I see Biden's going to raise the ordinary income rate to 39.6%. I refuse to work. I refuse to go to my job and earn wages until the rate goes down. Can't really do that. Uh, Whereas with capital gains, you can control your timing and try and work around that. But as you say, Tom, 
at least in the short run, but just like, like eventually you have to go back to work and earn wages to eventually you're, uh, you know, many people, maybe not everybody, but will have those realization events on their capital assets as well. And I guess one other point to remember, we're dealing with the 10 year budget window here. Congress lives in the 10 year budget window. So even if eventually people sell, even in a higher rate environment, if it happens out the, outside the 10-year window, we don't count it. And maybe that's not fair, but that's just the world that Congress lives under and has lived under for quite a while. And that's a reality of how we think about the revenue associated with capital gains as well. So, Jennifer, having listened to that, what is the ideal rate then? Do we have a Goldilocks problem? You know, Tom was saying you guys can have too low, too high. seems like we have a Goldilocks problem when it comes to the capital gains rate. If your goal is to maximize tax revenue, and by the way, it maybe it's not for Biden, but if it is, then the rate can definitely be too low, but it can also theoretically be too high. So what is the right rate? It absolutely could be too high. The question is, what is high and what is too late? And a lot of that, from what I can tell from what the economists say and the analysis that they've done, I think at least has some indication on where you may be coming from. So, you know, I actually went through and, and took a survey of some of the analysis out there. So you see some numbers around 20, 28%, as high as up to 40%. Also, if you, as Tom indicated, the step up in basis can have a lot to do with that. So if that could be eliminated, that gets rid of a lot of the elasticity or the flexibility from the taxpayer uh, in their ability to choose whether or not to apply the tax. And to the extent you get rid of that, then that theoretically could allow for a higher rate uh, to be the revenue maximizing rate. On the same time, you also see some numbers from some other folks around 20% even. So it seems to have a lot to do with the viewpoint of the economists, from what I can tell. Uh, but for what it's worth, some of the Joint Tax Committee analysis, which of course are the official scorekeepers, uh, tend to have that rate around 28, 29%. Yeah, there's some old CBO work that indicates that the maximum rate somewhere between 25 and 32, which is a pretty broad range. But yeah, 28% is a number that you hear a lot. So if that's true, so a couple things there. If that's true, and Biden's proposing 39.6%, that means, I think, and I'll t ask you about this in a second, Tom, we're, we're leaving money on the table, potentially. But the other thing you mentioned, Jennifer, which is really important, is this step up of basis, right? It's oddly one of the, you know, the great tax planning strategies to die, but it works. And whether or not that exists is really important in terms of that real realization question. So, Tom, let me come back to you then. So, okay, this question of if we assume for a moment, there are people that would say, no, it's not true that, you know, you can still raise massive amounts of revenue and maybe the optimal rate is closer to that 39.6%. But if we assume it's lower, then that means theoretically we have a, a bit of a revenue problem. We're not maximizing the revenue associated from the rate. And again, as I said, maybe it's not really just all about the revenue. Maybe it's about fairness. But how then, if that's true, what we just said, how then do you get that revenue back? We sort of had a teaser last week on mark-to-market. It sounds really complicated. Go ahead and talk about this mark-to-market proposal and a little bit about how it would work. You know, that's theoretically the way to get the, the maximum amount of revenue out of this is to, is to on an annual basis, tax increase in, in gain. And there have been any number of studies of the issue, reports written over the years, and you know, most of them concluded at the end of the day, it's it's too complicated overall. You know, for publicly traded securities, it's 
possible to do that. You know, it's there are some complications like um, you know change in the value of assets of asset values, even for marketable securities, fluctuate year to year, go up and down. So you have you know, lost carryovers and carrybacks you've got to deal with, but at least you've got a valuation that you can rely on, on uh, with publicly traded securities. But they only account for about half of capital gains. The rest comes from business assets, which are neither liquid nor are they easy to value. And the, the basis in them fluctuates, of course, too, constantly as, as improvements are made or there's depreciation. So, and, and the liquidity problem is, is a separate problem you know, that raises a lot of payment issues for ongoing businesses. So, you know, that, for that half of capital gains, it becomes a really difficult problem. You know, one suggestion has been, well, maybe you, you still tax at realization, but you provide some sort of adjustment to take into account the time value of, of money. Uh, for the deferral and tax on the gain as a way to get at it. And, you know, that's maybe theoretically possible. You know, no one has put forward a serious proposal to do that yet that I've seen. The alternative to it, which we've come back to a number of times, is, is the idea of taxing capital gains at death, which is a simpler process by far, treating that as a realization event. And, you know, because of the complications, that's, you know, what Biden has come to in his proposal and, and where most most analysts come out at the end of the day. It's certainly easier than the mark to market. But I guess the downside is you get that long, well, depending on how old you are, <laughs> long, long deferral versus mark to market, which takes away the ability to defer those gains at all. And, you know, you said that there are proposals out there and probably the one that I would think about the most is the ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden's proposal on mark to market. And if the Senate were to flip into Democratic hands, he becomes the chairman. So what you described, Tom, is this what to do with the, the you know, non-marketable assets, these non-liquid assets and value in them is exactly what he at least his current iteration. And it's still a think, you know, process. He still goes through the process of thinking this through. But it is just that, you know, you wait till you have that realization event and then you use some methodology to go backwards, you know, to basically as if we'd been marking it to market all those years. Complicated. But, you know, when you hear Ron Wyden talk about it, what he'll say is, and I've heard him say this many times, is, look, it's only fair that if you're wealthy, you, you know, probably have a lot of your income derived from capital gains. You already get a lower rate. You can choose when to recognize that versus people that get just the W-2 who don't have the ability to control the timing at all. And maybe you don't ever pay tax on it at all because you're going to defer it until death. And that's sort of the, the basis for what Wyden is coming after on the mark-to-market. And I think it's something we would have to take seriously and if the Senate were to flip and we'd have a Biden administration. For sure. Well, okay, Jennifer. There's another important question that we, we seem to always finish with this question when we talk about some of the Biden proposals. It's this one. What's our effective date? I think in the past we've said there are at least three options. You could go retroactive, which I think in this scenario means, let's just say, January 1, 2021. You could do a date of enactment, which I guess would be you know sometime in the middle of the year, which would be kind of weird because you'd have – you know, realizations in part, one part of the year subject to one rate and another year subject to a different rate. Or you could go prospective, let's just say January 1, 2022. Just can you talk about it? what are some of the considerations there in picking effective dates? Well, I think there's a question of fairness, certainly. I, mean, I think folks just 
I have questions for the most part about what you might refer to as a retroactive tax increase. So backdating something to the beginning of the year, I think, just raises a lot of questions with some folks as to whether or not that's fair or unfair, particularly when it comes to capital gains, if we're staying with the current system where it's a realization event that triggers a taxation. Would a taxpayer have made the same decision in January 31st? had they known that the capital gains rate would increase in June retroactive to January 1. So I think that's sort of an initial question. You know, the other question is, is your goal fairness or is your goal to raise revenue? If your goal is to raise revenue, perhaps a prospective effective date, at least in the short term, would raise the most revenue, correct? Because that would trigger a lot of the a reversal of the lockout effect, i.e. a lot of realization events. So a lot of capital gains being uh, generated in, in 21 and a lot of tax uh, capital gains taxes coming into the government in 21. So in theory, if your goal is short-term revenue, perhaps that's the right answer. It, it depends on what the goal of the lawmakers would be. Absolutely. I do think the revenue maximizing option there is January 1, 2022, right? Because you can imagine, let's just say this thing were enacted sometime in the late spring, early summer, you know, giving taxpayers say roughly a half a year, six months to try and take advantage of the current lower rate, you would imagine a lot of people would do that, right? And their advisors would be telling them to do that. And you would have a pretty much a, you know, a, a bumper crop of, of capital gains realizations that would drive that number inside the 10-year budget window. Well, so one of the questions I really have, I think, comes up is what happens during that post-election term if we see Biden win, particularly if we see that presidential win combined with a win of Democrats in both the House and Senate. How seriously does the taxpayer community take the idea that capital gains may increase at some point in the relatively near future? Does that have an impact on realization at the very end of 2020, i.e. between Election Day and December 31st or not? I mean, that's a big question. To get back to the revenue and political point, though, you know, with the Democratic emphasis on wealth inequality, yeah, it seems to me that it's it's probably unlikely that they're going to provide a window for the realization of capital gains one last shot at the lower rate before they raise the rate. And that just that just doesn't seem to me to be something that's in the cards. They'd be more likely to go the other way, as, as John was suggesting, to to increase the rate and then go to something like mark the market to require the the tax to be paid anyway. So if if you're right, Tom, then that would argue in favor of folks, again, in a post-election environment, perhaps some folks may, may think it's a smart idea to, to claim some of those capital gains at the lower rate, if you're right. Could be. I have a feeling we're going to get that question a lot in that scenario that our phones will be ringing. I'm already getting that question. You know, should we sell assets this year? And I think a lot of people are asking themselves that very question. And it's easy to say, well, let's ha let the election happen before uh, we worry about that. Here's a wrinkle in all that just to make everybody's head really hurt. What if we don't know the election outcome until after December 31st because of the complexity of counting mail-in ballots this year? Uh, John, don't even raise the possibility. You talk about it, your head hurting. <laughs> right. Look, I, I'm not saying it's certain to happen or even likely, but it's possible that – you know, for taxpayers, just may not even know yet whether the Senate flipped or who might even has controlled the White House. So, wow, we're going to be in for uh, quite a ride on this discussion, I think, this fall. Well, that's it for today. And at least for now, that's it on the Biden proposal around capital gains rates. If we do get a Biden administration coupled with a chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden, 
It's hard, at least for me, not to see the capital gains rate increase coupled with a mark-to-market regime at least getting a very hard look. These are issues that are important to both men, and they will argue that it increases the fairness of the tax system. I'll leave it to you, listener, to determine whether it does increase fairness, but I think it's objectively true that almost certainly will increase the tax system's complexity. One more parting word. Thank you to those of you who have suggested topics and have been offering feedback on our program. Please keep the comments coming. I've gotten a number of questions on when we are going to talk about the Trump tax plan for a potential second term. I assure you that topic is on the list. Look, there's not a whole lot to say, not yet anyway, but there is something to say. So trust me, that episode is coming. But until then, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, and I hope to see you soon.